This is episode number 021 of the Reno Slant. Nevada football is a bull champion. Nevada basketball is 14 and 0. It's after midnight. I'm not even tired. Let's go. Welcome to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans, where an award-winning sports writer and his Nevada alum brother discuss Nevada football, Nevada basketball, and, well, pretty much everything else Nevada, except for the Loyalist Chicago tournament game. We don't talk about that. Here are your bro hosts, Adam and Nathan Schaub. That was a beatdown. At least in the second half. Nevada pulled away from Utah State tonight to move to 1-0 in Mountain West play. 14-0, matching the best start in program history. Going back to the 1951-1952 squad, which all of us can remember fondly. So Adam and I will share our thoughts on that one. Nevada somehow, somehow, beat Arkansas State in the Arizona Bowl on Saturday, 16-13 in overtime. So we'll, we'll certainly dig into that one. And, um, share our thoughts on the season as a whole. Nevada finishes the year eight and five with a bowl win in Jay Norvell's second year. And we're making history on the Reno slant this week. Not only are we recording at 10.51 PM Pacific Standard Time, I'm ready for bed. We have our first recurring guest, Chris Murray. Uh, it's been a crazy week in Reno between the bowl win between Nevada's win at Utah, starting conference play this week. You got some coaching rumors with the UCLA vacancy opening up. So it was a great week to have Chris on. A really great conversation with him. Really insightful stuff, as always, from him. We recorded on Sunday. Um, the UCLA job wasn't open quite yet, but the rumors were certainly swirling, so we did talk a little bit about that. For slants, we're bringing one back this week. Hey, I know you. Did this one back earlier in the football season. And we're starting a new one. New year, new podcast. Not really, but we are starting a new slant, road tripping. I'm really excited about it. We got a Nevada SID, Chad Hartley. He's been on the show, so he is a Reno slant alum. And the theme of the podcast, or of the podcast, of the slant, the idea of the slant is to give fans who are traveling with the team uh, a couple ideas, a couple suggestions on maybe where to go, places to see. When you are on the road. So Nevada is going to New Mexico on Saturday. Chad's been to New Mexico about a billion times. So he gives a couple recommendations, some restaurants, craft beer spots. And uh, hopefully it's of value to you guys. And then we also got games of the weekend. It's wild card weekend in the NFL. Got some Twitter questions and then random Reno. But first, you know we got our iTunes five-star review of the week. It comes from Brad. Brad says, I'm now the guy at the lunch table who knows way too much about Nevada sports. Thanks for giving my life a purpose. And that's what we're about here at the Reno Slant is giving you guys, uh, giving your life some purpose. Not, not really, but we do appreciate the, the iTunes review, Brad. Uh, I think it's Adam's turn to hook someone up on, uh, on Venmo. So we'll shoot a buck your way. Uh, bro, you were at the game tonight. Um, before we dig into the game itself, um, it sounds like it was pretty wild in there and you're at the wall beforehand. Yeah, I was at the wall, showed up about an hour early. <clears throat> um, like it was the last time I was there, completely packed. So pretty, pretty impressive for a Wednesday night. You, you know, you get that many people coming out. Uh, people were drinking. Archie, I'm assuming Archie's was packed too. The parking lot was full. I didn't even try yeah. to walk up there because it was so cold outside tonight. <laughs> How was, uh, we haven't even talked. How was your New Year's? What'd you do? 
Uh, New Year's, I went out with our buddies. Well, we just went to uh, Louis Damani, for anybody listening knows that guy. He Lewis. had a little shindig at his place. Yeah, Louis had a little shindig at his place. Had a, you know, had the boys, had a, the whole group together. So it was a uh, cost-effective New Year's. I'll put it that way. <laughs> That's the way to do it. When it bank, bank account was just as full or light, however you want to put it, as it was <laughs> when I left. That's the way to do it. We found uh, there's a restaurant for people who know Vegas, the Sparklings. Sixty-five. Mm. Listen to this deal: sixty-five dollars for all you can eat okay. and drink on New Year's. That's pretty good. That's a screaming it, deal. Where was it at? It's down by Fremont or down no, off the strip? No, it's on. It's, it's off the strip. It's the southwest part of town, Spring Valley, more or less. People who know Vegas, so it's still, it wasn't still not a bad, bad deal. Yeah, it was like fifteen fifteen minute Uber. It's more expensive on New Year's, but yeah, no, it was a screaming deal. Yeah, I'll take that nine times out of ten. All right, let, let, let's dig into this here as we get to close to eleven o'clock. <laughs> Man, I gotta wait. I gotta wake myself up for sure. <laughs> um, so Nevada pulls away for a seventy-two forty-nine home win tonight. I just at the top fourteen and zero, matching the best start in school history, going back to fifty-one fifty-two. Um, just for you there in person, what, what's something that jumps out at you from Nevada's performance tonight? Uh, was how bad Utah State's three-point shooting was. Mm. So I, I saw you tweeted something about it in the game. Um, I think what they were like shooting a little over 40% on the season. But when I just quickly jumped on a stat line, because I remember watching the game being like, man, Utah State is not hitting anything during the game. Looked, I think they were shooting a little over 17%. So that for sure was what stood out. Then the second part was it was about the last two minutes, two minutes plus, they were sitting at 49 points, and I was sitting there thinking the whole time, don't let them get to 50. I'm going to their power to get them that way, but that was the other part. I just think it's crazy that you're holding a team to under 50 points, especially a team that's been shooting so well this season. Yeah, I'm going to start the same way I've started this each episode for the last month, essentially. The defense was just unbelievable. Uh, Utah State came into that one averaging 81 points per game, and they were held to a season-low 49. I mean, that's 32 points below their season average. They were a really efficient mm-hmm. shooting team. They connected on four, over 48% of their shots for the season. That's 43rd in the country, and just had an abysmal night shooting, 26%, including, as you mentioned, 4 of 23 from deep. Sam Merrill, who we talked about on the show last week, he's their stud. He's the guy they, they lean on offensively, and he did finish with 16 points, but he needed 14 shots to get there. He, he wasn't very efficient. He, like the entire team, mm-hmm. could not buy a bucket. And the defense forced 20 turnovers that led to, here's kind of a fun stat, that led to 23 points and a 23-point win. <laughs> <laughs> Just the margin you need. That's what's up. Yeah, then my, I mean, my other one was, because I was trying to figure out the time frame of when this was going down, but it never really felt like Utah State was in the game. I started looking to play-by-play to see exactly kind of when I was thinking it was, and it was literally about 12 minutes left in the first half that I felt at once we crossed that barrier, Utah State, at least from my perspective, it never really felt like they were in the game. Nevada pretty much controlled it from there on out, right. never never really even gave them you know, an inch to kind of w- wiggle their way back in the game. Nevada pretty much just... Especially ending the first half, you could see muscles running up and down the sideline, pumping up the crowd and everything. Mm-hmm. And from that point, especially going up ten and a half, the way the crowd was, you know, 
uh, being involved and included during the game, it you, you just had that feeling that Utah State was not going to be able to get back into it. Yeah, they got they were down like twelve in the first half, and they cut it to four with about two minutes left. And then Nevada closed with the six points, had a couple steals that led to uh, transition mm-hmm. buckets, and I felt like when you look back at it, I mean that really was the nail in the coffin. They, Utah State never really sniffed Nevada after that. Yeah, definitely. Um. This was yet again outside of the second half against Utah. This was another shooting night where it felt like nothing was going from deep from from either team. And there were some stretches of that game that were not necessarily aesthetically mm-hmm. pleasing. Nevada was seven <laughs> of twenty nine from deep, twenty four percent. Even Jazz had a quote unquote off night for him. He, he he was two of six. It was weird watching him miss a couple shots. Yeah, they more than made up for it though with that defensive effort. I mean, it's unbelievable what this team is doing on the defensive half of the court. Um, I mean, they were up twenty with four minutes left, and they're still diving for loose balls. You had the Thurman block where he basically took the guy's soul and said, "That's mine now," and they they gave a a pity foul basically mm-hmm. with a couple minutes. That left. was such, such a pity foul, such a pity. Uh, you should have heard the you should have heard uh, heard Lawler when that was when they showed the replay. Not pleased. Yeah, you you can you could hear it on TV. They they, they were booing. Oh, oh, you could. Oh, oh, you could. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Was there anything else you you took away from the game? Minutes, minutes being spread around. Everybody gets some minutes. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, you really start looking at the line. I mean, Caroline and and Caleb obviously still went for thirty seven minutes, but uh, Jazz had more minutes than Cody. You get uh, Thurman's almost down to low thirties. Porter was you know mid twenties. So. Maybe Musselman being a little more willing to test the waters a bit because, you know, you got Brown with 10. Jazz went for 23 off the bench. Zuzog had seven. I mean, a little more minutes than those guys have been getting. So I was kind of curious about how, what if, if he's mixing up his style going from here on out. While I was waiting for you to get home from the game so we could record, I was watching post-game presser, and, and Musk did talk about that, that mm-hmm. we're in conference play. It's important that these guys are fresh now. He felt like maybe mm-hmm. they weren't necessarily – they didn't do as good of a job with that last year, he said. So that's going to be more of a focus. So I wouldn't be surprised now if we do see that where he tries to give the bench more minutes. Now, there, there okay. was there was some foul trouble earlier in the game that led to yeah, know, some, some guys playing early, some more minutes. But, yeah, that, that mm-hmm. is something to look at for certain. Uh, my last thing from this game, we talked about it last week. You you made a big point about it was how good Utah State is rebounding the basketball. I mean, their their rebounding margin was plus eleven point seven per game. It's third in the country. Um, so statistically speaking, they're one of the best rebounding teams in all college basketball. In total rebounds, this one finished Utah State forty four, Nevada forty three. Nevada did an awesome job of limiting possessions for Utah State to one shot. Now. Utah State did finish with 15 offensive rebounds, but it felt like maybe 12 of those were in garbage time because they did get yeah. some scrapping around in the last few minutes. Um, so maybe a bloated stat there. But I just thought defensively as a whole, especially re- rebounding the basketball, that was um, – the guys were getting asked that after the game. They thought that was their best defensive performance of the year, and they were kind of dancing around it. I, I think it was. Oh yeah, I mean you you hold it right now. I mean as the ranking stand, Utah State was number two in the conference, and you hold them under fifty points. Yeah, yeah. And the last thing I'll say real quick here before we start talking about the the bowl game against Arkansas State. If Utah State is the second best team in the Mountain West behind Nevada, woof. Uh, they did not impress me 
even a little bit. I mean, was anyone impressed by Utah State? Did you were were you impressed by him? No, like I said, dude, it was middle of the middle of the first half, and you could just sense that they were out of the game. This is supposed to be their biggest game of the year, or one of their biggest games of the year. You go on the road. You had that awesome non-conference. You have a chance to pick up a marquee mm-hmm. win. And mm-hmm. I, I thought they were pretty stagnant. I thought they were pretty flat. Um, I, I just was not impressed by Utah State at all. I, granted, they're playing on the road against the sixth ranked team in the country, and that's certainly a factor. I, I just did not think Utah State looked like a legit contender in this conference. I mean, we'll see how bad everyone else really is. Everyone's talking about how down the conference is. Uh, Utah State, though, did not look sharp. Yeah, it's not a, not a good early sign for the conference when your number two team goes down like that. All right, we'll jump into some thoughts on the bowl game here. Football season coming down to a close. It's certainly over for Nevada. It's over for every collegiate team but two, and that makes me very, very sad. Uh, but Nevada somehow, I mean, I, I still don't understand how they found a way to win that game on Saturday. 16-13 and 13, or 16-13 in overtime in the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl. That 2-0 in that bowl. Uh, bro, what is something that you took away from that win? Well, so I was kind of, I was a lame duck. I didn't get to see much of the game. I actually tuned in because we were house shopping with our parents or just looking around at some places down here. Um, and uh, when I finally got to tune into the game, it's probably about six minutes left in a game. Um, and when we were watching it down at the Tamarack, you missed, and, you missed and I saw, nothing up to that point. Literally nothing. That's what I was gonna say. That's what I was gonna say. I saw a couple of drives, and just from what we were hearing from people at the Tamarack, it sounded like it was just a nightmare of a game. It was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah, that's what I mean. I was just hearing on both sides of the ball was a disaster. Obviously, I mean, if you want to tip, I don't see it, but you want to tip your hat to one of the defenses or either of them for not giving up any points. I don't know if you want to applaud the defense or boo the O, but it just sounded like it was a complete ugly, ugly game. You, you hear Jay and others in the program talk about Nevada grit all the time, and it's it doesn't get more cliche than that in sports. It has a purpose, though, and that effort in the final minutes of regulation and in overtime was the complete embodiment of what the staff is trying to create, what it means by Nevada grit. Nevada was not the better team on Saturday. Its offense got the its butt kicked all day long. Nevada got outgained by over 200 yards. And still, Ty Ganji, the offense, the entire team, finds a way to get it done late with a bunch of dudes who you would not expect, whose names very few knew at the start of the mm-hmm. season. I, I thought it was a... a a special win to cap what ultimately was a fun year that surprised a lot of people. There are positives everywhere. And I, th- I think the win changes the narrative a little bit going into the off season because you have the UNLV disaster. You have the transfers of Nephi Sewell and McLean Mannix. And then if you have a, an, not just a loss, but an ugly loss where you don't play well in a bowl game, all of a sudden, you're seven and six. It doesn't feel that great, but eight and five certainly feels better. So I think that changes the narrative a little bit heading into the off season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, going from a gambling perspective, though, yeah. what I did do is when they were down, was it six zero or seven six six or seven zero, whatever it was. I <laughs> I looked I looked at our dad and I said I'm going to do it, and I ran back and placed an in play, did him twenty bucks, 
in play to come back and win. And so I got, I think I, I can't remember what it was, plus 300, plus, plus 275 or something. So I was all about it. Hey, go pack. Wait, wait, wait yeah. in the season for me too. <laughs> okay. Give you some love. So we just talked about Nevada's defense on the hardwood. And it's funny how similar some of the narratives are between the football program and the basketball program right now. Obviously basketball program having more success, but it's, the offense is trying to find itself in some inconsistencies, playing well in some spots, playing not as well in others. And the defense is kind of carrying, uh, the show. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. the case for basketball, case tonight for basketball, case on Saturday for football. I mean, wow. Uh, and you could make, and you could make the argument too that going into the season, everybody was high expectations on the offense and low on the defense and it's right. totally roll, roll reverse. To- totally flip. But yeah, I mean, Arkansas State, one for five in the red zone. One, for, you have five chances and you score just once. That is That's bonkers. So they were they were two of seventeen on third down. Arkansas State was Nevada was also bad on third down. Uh, Justin Hansen, their very ex- experienced quarterback, had six picks all year. He threw three in that mm-hmm. game. Two were in the end zone. Uh, to play that well, while continuously put in spots that were that difficult, knowing. Your offense can't do anything, anything. When it was seven three, it felt like it was an insurmountable lead for Arkansas mm-hmm. State. It was, it really was that tough to watch at times. Uh, unbelie- unbelievably admirable what, what Jeff Castile and that defense was able to do because the offense made plays late, but the defense won that game. They don't win that game without that defensive performance. Was there anything else for you? Uh, just real quick. I mean. Looking at the post game, you could see the emotion in Norvell kind of going back to him is that it, that gives me kind of the reassurance that he was a good decision by Newth. He's a guy that really cares, is really invested in or invested in his players. You know, I don't, I don't get the sense from a lot of his emotion that he shows that it's fabricated or not, you know, sincere and thing and, and whatnot. So that's why I like seeing it. Like you said, ended on a good note. Eight and five feels way better than seven and six. You can kind of see yeah. those things with the head coach. It just just gives you a way better sense around the program in general. And that's something that we'll hear Chris Murray talk about is how important this upcoming season is for Jay Norvell. Missing, I don't want to say missing, but a transition now of talent, especially on the defensive side, what he can do really with his guys in year three. Uh, I, I, my last thing I want to say about the game, and then we'll we'll grade the the season for Nevada, is. I mean, I mentioned at the very beginning here, dudes stepping up out of nowhere, whether it was due to transfers or due to all kinds of injuries that happened on Saturday. I mean, you have wide receiver Ben Putman did not have a career reception coming into that game. A walk-on before the game started, by the way, before the game started. Four receptions, 114 yards. And to have that kind of game, a couple of huge grabs in the fourth quarter, Two 44-yard receptions, one that should have led to the go-ahead score, didn't. Yeah. The second that <laughs> did lead to the go-ahead score, he got caught by a turf monster. He should have scored. He, he just tripped on the five-yard line, got tackled on the one. And the way the offense was going, like, oh, no, they might not score now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we all had that feeling. Uh, but, yeah, 5'9", junior walk-on, was gifted a scholarship right after the game. Jay, Jay gives him after the game. It's so cool oh, uh, wow. f- for that kid. Um, so he was one of them. You have sophomore tight end Reagan Roberson, the pride of Douglas High, um, entered the game with three career receptions, and he scores the game-winning touchdown in overtime, 11-yarder, obviously his first touchdown catch. 
And he made a sweet move. I mean, that was a third down play. Someone comes up to wrap him up at about like the five, but it was a couple yards short of the first down, and he just runs mm-hmm. right through him. I thought he was going down right there. I was like, oh, my God, they're going to get him short. Yeah, so he makes a really nice play in the open field, breaks a tackle, and ends up scoring the game winner. A cool little anecdote with that. It was obviously Ty Ganji's last game. It was his first touchdown pass of the game. That extended his streak of consecutive games with a touchdown pass to 27. Uh, so pretty fun way for Ty Ganji to go out with a touchdown mm-hmm. pass to win a bowl game in overtime. And the last name that jumps out that you haven't heard a lot from this year was Justin Brent. Uh, transferred from Notre Dame as a wide receiver, an ESPN top 300 kid when he went to Notre Dame, transferred to Nevada, then moved to defensive back. He did not have a single career pick going into that game. He didn't have one, but two, including one in the end zone. He had a key pass breakup early that forced a fourth down instead of a first down, and they ended up missing that field goal. That was a huge play. Um, so just <laughs> between Ben Putman... Reagan Roberson, Justin Brent, even even a few others, guys who I did not lean on at all this year, made the biggest plays in the bowl game. I thought that was fun. All right, so eight and five, a bowl win. What's your what's your letter grade for Nevada football in the twenty eighteen campaign? A flat B. Flat, flat B. B. It was a great season. I would have been a little more generous and given a B plus or an A minus had that UNLV loss not gone on the way it did. But just, I mean, they still performed well. The expectations are now going into this upcoming year are high. So I'm going to give it a B. I was a little more generous than you. I, I gave it a B plus. If you take a step back, we've said it a million times. This team won three games last year. It's the second year with a new coach and a new system. And they find a way to win eight games this year. We talked about how difficult their schedule was, mostly at home. Uh, it includes winning a bowl. They beat a Power 5 team. Yes, it was the worst team in a bad conference. But they did beat a still, Power still, 5 still, team. Still counts. Counting a baby. And they got a little help from call, hashtag college kickers. You know, that, that was a, <laughs> a factor as well. They won four games away from Mackey. We've talked about the road woes this program has had. They didn't win a single road game last year. They beat San Diego State at home. Yes, San Diego State was down. The only real black eye on the season is that UNLV performance. And mm-hmm. they should have, maybe, could, they definitely could have, maybe even should have beaten Boise. Who knows if Ganji plays the Fresno game? I think all in all, a B plus, a, really a strong year for Nevada. Strong year for yeah. the back. All right. We'll kick it now to our interview with Chris. Murray, some awesome stuff from him. First recurring guest in Reno Slant history. Here's that conversation. Okay, we got history on the show today. The first recurring guest ever, and that title goes to you, Chris. So (laughs) of all your professional accolades, does this rank first or second? Uh, uh, yeah, it's first for sure. I mean, you picked the right guest to, to be a multiple time, uh, uh, you know, audio speaker. So, um, you know, congratulations on your good decision there. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> um, all right. So this will come out January 2nd. So we'll be post New Year's. What were you doing for New Year's? Uh, I were actually, uh, babysitting, um, my nephew. I was just playing him in 2K the first time I've ever played that on Nintendo Switch and I, I was the Lakers all-time team, so I had Shaq, Kobe, 
uh, Kareem, Magic, uh, Jerry West, and he was playing with the current Sacramento Kings. So a little bit of an advantage <laughs> in personnel for me. Um, but yeah, how'd you do? Him, his, <laughs> uh, we were just through the first half and I was only winning by two, but it's the first time <laughs> I've ever played. And while he's only six, he's more of an expert. So I was happy with the two point lead because half the time I was uh, shooting him and I was trying to pass and vice versa. So. All right. So you got a few, uh, you got you a know. few days then to get it locked in. There we go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, okay, so Saturday was was wild. I mean, you have football, you have basketball. It was simultaneous. They weren't thinking of the Nevada sports reporters when they when they scheduled those two. What 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 was that like for you? How do you balance that? Do you have two TV screens going? What are you doing? Uh, yeah, two screens for sure. Um, obviously, the uh, football game was on CBS Sports Network, which most people have. The uh, basketball game was on Pac-12 Networks, which most people do not have. So. Right. You know, I'm always able to, you know, steal a password from somebody and, and be able to get it on the computer. So, um, you know, I, I actually cut my cord uh, a couple of months ago and I have Hulu, Prime, Netflix. Um, but my, my parents have DirecTV. My brother has AT&T U-verse. So, you know, you add yep. it all together and you're usually able to find, uh, you know, whatever sporting event you want somehow in some way. So, you know, they've played on the same day quite a bit. Um, you know, the two kind of premier programs for Nevada, but they very rarely have played in the same time on the same day right. in such big stakes. So it was kind of an unusual situation. It just, it shows you how long college football games are nowadays. I mean, the basketball game started about an hour after, a fo- after the football game and ended about an hour and a half before the football game ended. So, um, you basically could have put two basketball t- games in the, in the time span to play right. one football game these days. Did you do a pretty good job of being able to follow both? Did it get, did it get tough? No, a little bit tough, but I persevered. Yeah. I mean, I'm very, uh, <laughs> you know, I showed my uh, Nevada grit by being able to watch two sporting events at once. <laughs> That's great. So we'll, we'll start with, with football. Uh, the team really had, I thought, no business winning that game. The, the defense was just in- incredible. <laughs> Held Arkansas State to one of five in the red zone. For you, I'm sure you'll be talking about this a lot over the next month or so, but wh- where does this group rank? all time for Nevada. It's got to be up there. Yeah. I mean, they basically won that game by themselves. I mean, the offense was in, um, was struggling. We'll put it kindly. We'll just say it was struggling. Obviously they were missing some key players, um, but they basically scored three points over the first uh, 57, 58 minutes of that game. And, uh, you know, put the defense in tough situations time after time. Um, You know, to me, I've kind of actually argued this out on the uh, practice field with coach Alt. Uh, and Coach Bradison, who were both on that 2010 staff, obviously. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll tell them the advanced metrics say that this is the best defense Nevada's ever had. Um, and they say, wow. you know, they're old football guys. They don't care about <laughs> advanced metrics. They don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but, yeah, if you, if you trust those metrics, uh, you know, this is the best defensive unit the Wolfpack has ever had. And that's, uh, you know, Nevada isn't known for its defense over the years. But that's nope. a pretty impressive thing to say because when you look at that 2010 team, for example, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, we can name probably six, seven NFL players. You have Dante Moak, you have Brandon Marshall, you have James Michael Johnson, you have Duke Williams, you have Isaiah Fry, you have Klee Wooten. All of those guys played in NFL regular season games. And then you probably have another half dozen who are in NFL training camps or practice squads. Um, I don't think this team, uh, defensive unit, has that caliber of player. They're not going to have six of these guys get to the NFL. They might have one or two with Malik Reed and maybe a Sonny Rufus or Damian Baber. Um, sure. But what they were able to accomplish as a college defense, um, I think it puts them in that class. I think this is one of the three or four best defenses in Wolfpack history. If you want to make the argument it's number one, I don't think you have to 
you know, make any large stretches to do that. And I think mm-hmm. the thing that's most impressive is it was coming off a run of not good defenses. These are the same right. guys who were out there when Nevada had one of the worst defenses in the nation. And I think when, when you, uh, you know, think about that, you have to point to Jeff Castile, David Lockwood, um, you know, Nevada's defensive staff, Jason Kafusi, um, who, who really did a tremendous job this year. Obviously, Jeff Castile has had top 10 defenses in the nation before places like West Virginia. And, you know, he did a pretty solid job at Arizona. Um, but this is a guy who was fired at Arizona and, uh, you know, took a year off and, you know, came back and had a lot of, you know, questions, um, about whether he could still do it at this level with his defense or whether offensive had, you know, kind of caught on. So, Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it was a spectacular performance by the defense. I think the defense very much deserved to win that game. Yeah. The offense didn't do much. I'm not going to say they didn't deserve it because they made some huge plays at the end and it was great to see these, you know, little known walk-ons, uh, you know, play such a big role in the victory. Um, but yeah, if, if you look at, uh, to me, it just shows that there are too many bowl games. Like these are both solid enough teams, mm-hmm. but the way that those two offenses played for the majority of that game um, was not good. That wasn't right. good football. No. Uh, you know, kudos to Nevada football for pulling out the victory. And uh, you know, they very much, it, it, you know, you score more points, you you deserve it. But yeah, I mean, just like the last Arizona Bowl, to me, Nevada had you know no reason to win that game against Colorado State. It you know was outgained by a couple hundred yards the same case here i mean arkansas state played better for the majority of the game but it shows how important the special teams are in that 2015 arizona bowl eliza mitchell returns a kickoff for a touchdown and that's the difference in the game in this one arkansas state you know misses two field goals that it probably should have made early on and i think that changed how it played um you know in the second half not taking a couple of chip shot field goals that if they would have taken they would have you know, won the game pretty easily. Yeah. So, uh, you know, great for Nevada to be able to pull out a victory and send these seniors out, you know, with a win. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, the way the Wolfpack kind of played its last three or four games of the year, uh, you, you kind of questioned what was going on with the offense. But you can't yeah. say anything negative about this defense because that defense played after the non-conference play, which was a little bit up and down. Uh, that mm-hmm. defense played spectacularly um, basically for the last nine games outside of maybe the second half against UNLV. Who was more surprising to you in in that game, Justin Brent or Ben Putman? Ben Putman, uh, I will say. I mean, Justin <laughs> Brent's a really good athlete. Um, this is a guy who, you know, coming out of high school, had offers to play basketball at Indiana and football at Notre Dame. So this this is a guy who I think on a pro day uh, will do very, very well and will, uh, you know, maybe turn some heads and maybe get into a camp just because of how great of an athlete he is. Yeah. You know, people have known about Justin Brent for a long time. Uh, you know, Ben Putman, uh, you know, Coach Norvell gave him a scholarship after the game ended and wasn't even pronouncing his name correctly. So, uh, <laughs> I think he was a little bit more of an unknown, although I think it's funny because somebody did ask me on Twitter, uh, you know, the day before the game saying, you know, who's going to kind of, you know, replace McLean Mannix and step up in his place. And I just gave him a two word answer and I said, Ben Putman. And like, I'm not any genius. I just looked at the depth chart and see who they, <laughs> you know, he even, he even looks like him in uniform a little. There's a couple times that looks like McLean Mannix out there. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, th- that's kind of the benefit of being able to go to practice is you see some of these guys that maybe don't get, uh, you know, a lot of running games and you can say, okay, this guy is a little bit different. I mean, there are a lot of walk-ons on the team, but they're, to me, they're a different caliber of walk-ons. Like you could tell from the very start 
that Sam Hammond from Urington was like a legitimate division one player. He wasn't mm-hmm. just some walk on who, you know, found his way onto a roster. Yeah. Um, you know, Ben kind of stood out as well. I mean, he had, he actually played pretty well during special teams, uh, during the season. He only played in five games, but you could see he was a, a pretty solid athlete. You go back and look at his junior college numbers and, you know, he put up pretty nice numbers and, uh, you know, everybody was upset or, uh, you know, disappointed, I guess, when McLean Maddox left, but that yep. opens up opportunity and, uh, you know, that opportunity was taken by Ben Putman, and now he's a scholarship player, even though, you know, before the game, almost nobody in northern Nevada would even have known his name. So, uh, you know, that's the great thing about bowls. That's the great thing about college football. It's the great thing about sports is you can't predict that Ben Putman is going to have two 44-yard catches and, right. and have a 100-yard receiving day. Um, that, you know, Reagan Roberson is going to have the game-winning, uh, you know, touchdown catch, his first catch of the season. Um, that Dominic Christian is going to have a – you know, 17 yard catch on fourth and seven that basically rescued Nevada. If they don't get that first down, they lose the game. This is a guy in Dominic Christian who has literally moved from offense to defense like six times during his career. And, you know, it's kind of gone back and forth and, uh, you know, had some issues with drops. Uh, and that's why they did move to defense. But, you know, for, for those three guys to play as well as they did, uh, with Nevada basically down three starting wide receivers, um, you know, that's why I feel good for the team, not necessarily because yeah. they played a great game, but because, these people who nobody knew about, you know, had the you know guts and fortitude to be able to step mm-hmm. up in that situation. Um, you know, as the defense kept giving the offense opportunities, you know, those guys finally took one of those opportunities at the end of regulation and, you know, really um, won the game with it. Yeah. How do you think a rational Nevada fan, a rational sports fan, there's not a ton of them, but a rational Nevada sports fan, how should they feel about an eight and five season and a bowl win? I mean, if you told anybody before the season eight and five in a bowl when they would have taken it, I think the one big disappointment, obviously, is the UNLV. Loss to UNLV. Now, if one of those eight wins had come against UNLV, I think everybody would have said it was a great season. It was one of the best seasons in Wolfpack history. I think you lose that game to UNLV uh, and it kind of changes your perspective on the game uh, and on the season because yeah. that, that game does mean so much to the community. That being said, I mean, this was a team that was more or less being projected for winning six games and to come out with eight. Um, you know, I think, I think that's a great, great sign. I think, uh, you know, and I'm going to write about it soon is you really look at the first two years of the Brian Polian area era and the Jay Norvell era. And they're, they're very similar that you have the exact same record over two years. Uh, you both have a bowl appearance in which the offense kind of fell asleep during the bowl. That was the uh, Louisiana bowl yep. under Polian where Nevada lost 16 to three. I think, you know, there are just so many similarities when you start lining it up. So Polian inherits a, uh, quality veteran quarterback in Cody Vichardo who plays two seasons. And then in year three, uh, he has to find his own quarterback. That's the same thing with Jay Norvell. He gets a quality veteran in Ty Ganji for two years. In year three, he has to go and figure out who his quarterback is. Uh, you look in year two of Brian Polian, he has a tremendous true freshman running back in James Butler. Uh, in year two of Jay Norvell, he has a tremendous true freshman running back in Toa Tawa. Wow. You look at, at year two, uh, you know, Brian Polian beats probably the worst team in the Pac-12 in Washington State. Jay Norvell does the same, beats the worst team in the Pac-12, Oregon State. Um, you look at the marquee win coming out of that second year for Brian Polian. It was against BYU, which was that without its starting running back and starting quarterback because of injuries. For Jay Norvell, it was over San, San Diego, Diego State, State, which was that without its starting quarterback and starting running back with injuries. They both went one and one against UNLV. Like to me, it's, it's wild. Basically, yeah. I mean, you could argue Jay Norvell inherited a little bit worse of a situation because Brian Polian inherited a seven and six team, 
uh, Jay Norvell inherited a five and seven team, but I would argue that Jay Norvell inherited a pretty good cast when you look at the seniors on this team, especially on defense. So, um, you know, I think they're kind of on the same track after those first two years. To me, the big question is, what do you do in year three right. when you lose all of these seniors? If they're able to get eight wins again, I think that's a step in the right direction, even though the record might look the same, because you're going to have to replace seven starters on defense, five starters on offense, and your starting quarterback. Um, so I, I think it was a successful season for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be rushing out to give them a contract extension because I think there's still maybe some more questions to be answered. Um, but he's done a tremendous job. And I, the thing about Jay Norvell, you know, you saw him tearing up after the game. That's not yeah. like a fake thing. He actually cherishes having this job, understanding the history of Nevada football, sees himself as the temporary keeper of the program and, you know, wants to build onto that legacy. Like that's all legitimate stuff. And I think that resonates with the players. This is a guy who truly loves football and is, you know, quickly become, um, you know, in love with Nevada football. And I don't think it's like a fake thing. He's very close with Coach Alt. And, you know, I think everybody hopes that he does really, really well. Um, I just, I think that people maybe bag on Coach Polian a little bit more. But like, as I said, I think the first two years of these two guys' tenures are very, very yeah. similar. Obviously, Norvell got the bowl win. Uh, Brent Polian didn't. So that's the big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, the big question is what happens in year three? Can yeah. you continue to build or do you kind of stay at, a you know, that plateau and is it difficult to be able to take the next step forward up to a championship club, which is what everybody kind of wants? And I think that's what's going to be required to get people to come yeah. back to Mackey Stadium, which remains an issue. Yeah, yeah you painted a clear picture there. I mean, how important this third year is going to be for him. Would you say the most – I guess what would you say is the biggest storyline going into this offseason? I think you have to find a quarterback. Um, you know, Ty Gansey was not the perfect quarterback, but he was a very, very productive quarterback. He was a very good quarterback and his team, you know, won a lot of games. If you look back to last year, um, you know, I know the record was three and nine, but it was, you know, he didn't start in two of those games. Uh, you looked at this year, I know the record is eight and five, but he didn't start in the loss to Fresno State and he was clearly missed in that game. He had a winning record as a Wolfpack quarterback. Um, and not a lot of quarterbacks can actually say that. So I think right. it's going to be, um, uh, to, to have kind of a special year to be able to elevate from a good program, a bowl program to a championship program, you need, uh, all conference and, and maybe even NFL level, uh, you know, pro level quarterback play. I mean, that's what Nevada had with Colin Kaepernick when it won in, you know, the WAC in 2010. That's what it had in Jeff Rowe when it won the WAC in 2005. Um, you know, that's what it had for the most part with Cody Fajardo. Um, the, it, the last couple of quarterbacks and Ty Ganji and Tyler Stewart have been more solid than that kind of all conference pro level quarterback. And sure. there's not a guy on this roster that you can point out and say, well, this guy we know can play quarterback and be good. Like we've seen Christian Solano in one start that did not go well, but it was against Fresno state, which has an exceptionally good defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen Cayman Curriton start two games, but that was as a true freshman. And when he clearly wasn't ready, um, so those are kind of the two more veteran guys battling for the job. And then you're going to have two freshmen in Carson Strong, who redshirted this year, who I'm very high on, six foot four, has a very, very strong arm, maybe not a, you know, a great, great athlete, but a guy who, um, you know, I think is probably going to start some games next year, if not win the job at a swing camp. He's got a great name then, too. <laughs> yes. Great name. <laughs> then you have Austin Kirksey, who just signed, um, in this class and is going to enroll early. So we'll be with the team in January. There's not a guy on there where you're like, slam dunk this is a good quarterback um you know everybody's kind of guessing how good that will be and then you look at the defense and you're literally replacing Malik Reed, Corey Rush, Asani Rufus, Damian Baber, Nephi Sewell, Lucas Weber um 
you're replacing a ton of seniors uh, who made this group so good. Nevada's offense cannot play like it did this year, next year, right. um, and expect to reach a bowl. Right. And it's going to be hard to take this big step forward offensively with a first-time quarterback. So there are some major questions, and if they get to seven or eight wins again, that's what I'm saying. I think it is – that's a step in the right direction. I think mm-hmm. uh, people from the outside might look at it and say, well, that's what we did last year. But you're replacing so much talent on this team, especially on defense, that I think just staying at this level right here um, is actually a very positive thing if they're able yeah. to do that. That's a good point. So while that one was going on, as we mentioned, Muss and company are playing at Utah. Uh, one by 15 to cap a perfect 13-0 non-conference slate. Defense has been surprising, I think, at, at this point. The offense kind of went into a lull and then kind of broke out in the second half against Utah. What do you make of this team and where they are right now? Yeah, I mean, the, the non-conference schedule obviously has not played out exactly how they wanted it to. I mean, you can't argue with being 13-0. and I mean, that's a, that's there are four teams that are undefeated in the nation. I mean, what they've done up to this point has been terrific, but you look at who they scheduled and what they've been able to do um, Nevada's probably pretty disappointed where U- USC is right now. Pretty yeah. disappointed what BYU has done. Pretty disappointed what South Dakota State's done. Um, you know, pretty disappointed with what Pacific's done. Now Arizona State did go and get that great win over Kansas, but they also just lost to you know Princeton. Um, right. Arizona State is so up and down that it's kind of hard to project what that win will look like at the end of the year. I'm not surprised at the defensive improvement. Um, if you would have told me it would have happened before the exhibition season, after watching those two exhibition games, uh, you know, I thought that there were some serious issues on defense, but I, you know, I even tweeted in the off season because, uh, you know, the ESPN did a story on biggest concerns of the top 25 teams and they pinpointed, you know, defense for Nevada and said the offense would remain elite. And I said, I think the offense is actually going to take a step back. Uh, you're replacing Kendall Stevens and Hallis Cook, who hit about 173 pointers at a 45% rate last year. But the defense would take a big step forward, and that's kind of what's happened so far is this defense, um, you know, has by, by far been the best under, you know, Coach Musselman's four years. But I think you could argue it's the best since those 2000, mid-2000 uh, Nick Fazekas defenses. Offensively, they're just struggling to hit three-point shots. This is not a team that's probably going to hit in the high 30s. Now, there will be some games where they do that, but outside of Jazz Johnson, who's been spectacular, and, and Caleb Martin, they don't really have a lot of guys. Right who should be shooting a lot of three-pointers. And I don't think that message has completely gotten through yet. I think they still think that they're more of a three-point shooting team. And it's hard when teams are either playing a zone or a sagging man defense to be a little bit more judicious with your three-pointers. But, um, you know, as I predicted after they beat Arizona State, I think that there's a very good chance that this team does go undefeated throughout the regular season. Now, the odds are they're going to drop a couple games. When you get into conference play, it's very difficult because there are no surprises. Travel is very, very tough. Um, you know, you're going to play every team twice, so they're going to, you know, be completely locked in on what you do well and what you don't do well. You know, there, there's probably, um, you know, a better likelihood that they lose multiple games in the regular season than they go undefeated. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say them going undefeated, I would not rule that out. I know I said, you know, on our NSN show that it's 100% likelihood. I was obviously just joking around. It's not 100%. Probably <laughs> you know you're going like- to get feet to the fire on that one all season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, met, I, I saw like Coach Musselman the next couple of days later, and I'm like, you know, I said you guys have 100 percent going undefeated. He's like, I know, I saw that. I don't, I don't think he was like mad or anything, but it, it's just so um, difficult to be able to do that. But I yeah. think the the great thing about this team is its defense is solid enough that it can have off offensive nights and right. still win games against pretty good opponents. I mean, they didn't play 
well offensively against Arizona State or USC, two pretty talented teams, yet they still won both of those games away from Lawler Event Center. Right. So, um, you know, I, I obviously you'd want both your offense and defense to be great, but I think if you have to pick one or the other being great and the other one being a little inconsistent, you're probably going to want to pick the defense being great because it gives you so much margin for error offensively. If you have a really good offensive team, but you don't know what you're going to get from your defense like Nevada kind of had last year, I think you're in a bit more difficult position because you can't bank on, uh, you know, shooting the ball well every right. single night. There are going to be some off shooting nights. And if you don't play good defense, you're going to lose those games. So, you know, they're in a really good spot. Um, mm-hmm. They're probably if they can just do what we think they're going to do, they're probably going to get a, you know, top three seed in the NCAA tournament, which means they're playing in either San Jose or Salt Lake City and fans can go out there. And, you know, I it, it, it really just comes down to what they do in, in the NCAA tournament at that point. I know. You know, it's kind of unfair to say your entire season and how it's looked at, um, you know, comes down to a couple of weekends in March. But let's be real. If they only get to the Sweet 16 or less, people are not going to be satisfied with the season. I think right. people are are expecting at least the Elite Eight or better. Now, if they go undefeated in the regular season and they lose, lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament, I don't really care what you say. That's a really great season. Um, but ultimately, this team will be judged uh, on how it does in March. Yeah. What do you think the margin of error for this team is to get a top two or three seed? Because you mentioned it's tough to run the table, especially in the Mountain West with travel schedule and familiarity and everything that goes into that. So, I mean, if it does lose a couple, do you think it is still in the running or are people going to discount Nevada as a two seed at that point? Yeah, I mean, I think the the Mountain West has not been good this year. It hasn't been good at all. Um, right. San Diego State, UNLV, New Mexico have all been uh, much less than what everybody thought they were going to be. Uh, on the plus side, Utah State has been really good, and Fresno State has been really good. So I think there's, you know, you're probably looking at a couple of quad one games there on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't lose. If they want a top three seed, I don't think they can lose, like, four games or more. I think, yeah. you know, they have to keep, including the Mountain West tournament, um, just because the non-conference schedule is not going to look as good in the end as what they thought going into it. Now, if you look at their strength of schedule and their net, it's really, really good um, because they don't play any really, really bad teams. It's something that assistant coach Anthony Ruda, who puts the schedule together, does a great job of kind of artificially uh, enhancing what their what their strength of schedule looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it's going to come down to those quad one games. You have to win. Like Duke is going to play. 10 to 15 quad one games. So is Gonzaga. So is Kansas. Nevada is going to play like two or three. Right. So it's hard. It's hard if you're losing those quad one games, if they go out and lose at Utah state, lose at Fresno state, lose at San Diego state to argue that you deserve a one seed for sure. Um, but I think if you lose two or three games and that's it, it's really hard not to get a, a top, you know, three seed yeah. just because this team will have been in the top 10 the entire season at that stage. And that, you know, it doesn't ultimately matter, but I think it does play at some point that, you know, Nevada was talked about as one of the top 10 teams in the nation from the start of the season. So they've got a little mm-hmm. bit of wiggle room there. Um, I just wouldn't lose more than three games if you want a top three or four seed. Sure. Have you been surprised by the lack of reduction from Corey Henson and Israel Zouar? I, I've been a little surprised they haven't played the bench a little bit more. I mean, Coach Musselman talked about going into the season that, you know, with the CBA teams, he played a pretty deep bench. You know, he played eight, nine games. Um, I, I think ultimately when you looked at those three guards who sat out last year with Zuzwa, with Henson, with Jazz Johnson, only one of them was really going to get big time minutes. And Jazz has obviously went out and played and earned those minutes. I think I'm a lot more surprised that Jordan Brown hasn't played uh, as many minutes. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a McDonald's All-American who started the first exhibition game and now is basically getting like seven or eight minutes a game. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that that's kind of a difficult 
thing when you're going to try and recruit other highly ranked freshmen. Right. When they say, well, why, why are you playing this McDonald's All-American only 10 minutes a game? And their answer is, well, we're, you know, we're a really deep team. We got a lot of seniors. I mean, that's not what a, a true freshman wants to hear. He wants right. to hear, you know, I'm giving him 25 minutes and letting him play through his mistakes and, you know, trying to develop him. And if it costs us a game or two in the regular season, but he's better in March for it, we're willing to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're basically playing a six and a half man rotation with Jazz Johnson off the bench and, you know, Jordan Brown is maybe a half rotation guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I am a little bit surprised by that. Hopefully it doesn't wear them down, uh, and they're physically in good shape come March when the games are the most important. But I also, uh, have kind of learned that, you know, when, when your team is 13 and zero, when it's sixth in the country, when, you know, Coach Musselman inherited a nine and 22 team and has gone CBI title, NCAA tournament, sweet 16, maybe final four, we probably shouldn't question what he's doing. Uh, you know, everybody, everybody has, you know, maybe their little preferences and maybe they should do this differently. And are you going to wear out your starters? But in the end, whatever he's doing is working pretty darn well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, while I might want to see a little bit more minutes for Jordan Brown and, you know, a few more minutes on the bench for the starters so they're not worn out by March, um, I'm going to defer to the guy uh, who <laughs> might be National Coach of the Year. <laughs> All right, so just – I think it was last week, maybe a week and a half ago, you guys announced it, NSN, that you're going to do a Hard Knock-style series on Nevada Hoops. Are you, are you involved in that project? So, yeah, so basically Stadium, uh, which is owned by Sinclair, and NSN, which is owned by Sinclair, kind of partnered on the thing. Stadium's doing the majority of the work. And, okay. uh, you know, the Wolfpack obviously, um, you know, had to approve the all-access, and that's great. But I know Alex Margulies on our staff has been working on this for a couple of months. So um, I, I think it's fair to say that without, you know, his efforts, maybe it isn't Nevada, and, and maybe it wouldn't come out as cool. Now, we're going to help. Uh, you know, provide them some footage and vice versa. And, you know, it's obviously going to air on our network, Nevada Sportsnet, um, you know, which which anybody locally, you know, can get on their, um, you know, whatever system they have uh, for cable. Um, so it is kind of a partnership. I would say Stadium is doing the majority of the work, but, you know, we're certainly, you know, involved in, in the product and uh, are helping them in any way, you know, in any help we can give them and vice versa. So it's really a cool thing. Um, you know, it's uh, I think, the reason Coach Muss was comfortable doing this is they did it kind of last year during the NCAA tournament with uh, TBS, uh, Turner. Yeah. Uh, you know, they kind of let them, um, you know, mirror them, and they really liked how it turned out. And I think this is going to turn out great as well. Our first episode, I think, is January 29th. And then basically every Tuesday from there on forward, we're going to have a new episode for 30 minutes up until the Mountain West tournament. So, you know, it's going to be cool stuff. It's not just going to be basketball stuff. It'll be, you know, what, you know, Coach Muss's life at home is like. We'll do, you know, in-depth stuff on, uh, you know, the key players, the Martins, Jordan Caroline, all those kinds of guys. So it should be really, uh, you know, something that's great. I mean, obviously, this is kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of team. It feels yep. like that. Yep. I mean, hopefully Nevada is able to get teams of this caliber again, but – you know, we're trying to do whatever we can to cover this team as, as great as possible just because we understand how rare it is to have a group like this um, at a mid-major school. Mm-hmm. A lot of rumblings in UCLA, at UCLA right now that maybe Alfred's on yeah. his way out. How, how nervous should Nevada fans be right now? Um, I think they should just enjoy the moment and not worry too much about the future. But, yeah, certainly not only UCLA looks like it could make a change. I mean, USC looks like it can make a change. I know Andy Enfield has – a really strong recruiting class coming in next year. And, uh, you know, I'm sure USC doesn't want to do anything to maybe jeopardize that. But at, at some point, um, you need to stop recruiting well and actually start winning games and yeah. start winning NCAA tournament games, especially at a place like UCLA and USC. I think those are kind of the most dangerous uh, job openings from Nevada's perspective because it gives 
you know, Coach Musselman's wife um, access into that L.A. market. You know, maybe she can get back into broadcasting or acting. Um, I think it gives him access to, you know, higher ranked prep players on a regular basis. Although I will say that he doesn't seem overly interested in recruiting high school players anymore. I think, you know, the model coming in was half uh, preps and half transfers. And I think at this point, I think he just likes having transfers. They're older. They're more mature. He knows that they're, you know, can play at the Division One level. There's less, um, you know, margin uh, for error with a high school player because a lot of times they don't pan out. So I think that that actually may hurt him if he wants to get a UCLA or a USC job because they might look at him and say, you know, we don't do it with transfers here. We do mm-hmm. it with, um, you know, uh, top 25 recruits, five-star guys, McDonald's All-Americans, and we develop them. And we didn't see you do that at Nevada outside of, you know, Lindsey Drew and Cam Oliver your right. first year when you kind of had to do it. So, uh, you know, maybe that plays in Nevada's favor. Um, but I think, you know, ultimately, I think Nevada is a great fit for him. He's able to just be himself. I think, um, you know, I kind of term it a lot as a marriage between uh, regular people is when you can just go and be yourself. I think that's when marriages are the strongest and you don't have to act like you're somebody you're not. Yeah. Um, I think coach Musselman fits Northern Nevada perfectly. Like he can rip his shirt off and act like a <laughs> fool. Sometimes and people love it. He can wear, you know, polos every single game on the sideline and not $5,000 suits. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of really big pluses at Nevada. I think there are a lot of people who are invested in trying to keep him here as long as possible. And I think a lot of it comes down to how it goes in the NCAA tournament. Let's say they do get bumped out in the Sweet 16, and he says, this is the best team I'm ever going to have here, and we couldn't get it done past the Sweet 16. Maybe I do need to go to another place. Yeah. Or on the flip side, let's say they get to the Final Four or a national title game, and he says, well, you know, why Why would I go somewhere else if I just proved that I can get to a Final Four or a national championship here? I mean, at mm-hmm. UCLA, they fired a guy who got to two Final Fours. That was not good enough in Ben Howland. Yeah. Um, you know, the level of expectation – at a place like UCLA um, is very different than the level of expectation at a place like Nevada where he's going to be beloved no matter what happens. So, um, yeah, that, that's a dangerous job. I don't think they want either of those jobs or Arizona opening up. Um, I think if Coach Musk was 100% going to be at Nevada for the rest of his life, his buyout to his current contract wouldn't be a million dollars. It would be a lot higher than that. Yep. I don't begrudge him for keeping open his options. That's 100% um, his right and what he should be doing. Um, but I do think that he probably came here thinking I'll be in Nevada two or three years and go to a bigger place. And that almost happened when, you know, Cal came after him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that largely that mindset has started to change that he can do special things in Nevada and stay here like Mark Few stayed at Gonzaga. And that's not a bad thing. So right. I think, uh, you know, keeping him long term is definitely more likely now than it was when he became Nevada's coach in March 2015. A lot of Nevada fans like hearing that. Any, anything else you want to plug, Chris? I don't think so. What, what's your Twitter handle? I'm sure everyone listening knows it, but what, what's your Twitter uh, handle? Murray NSN, no longer verified. Uh, <laughs> had to switch my name from Murray RGJ and lost that blue check mark. <laughs> but Nevada Sportsnet's Twitter is verified, right. so the uh, mothership is, is verified, so that's very good. Well, welcome to the slums with the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris, man, thank you so much. Uh, congrats on all the success you guys are having. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate Chris coming on. Uh, and with the UCLA rumors, certainly going to be worth watching. Um, what happens here over the next month, month and a half, few months. Uh, and that Nevada Sportsnet series, by the way, the Hard Knock style series on the basketball program, that thing's going to be sick. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. And we also have something new, not... 
quite as exciting as a hard knocks <laughs> deep dive at Nevada basketball. Um, we're gonna do, we're gonna be partnering here with, with, with Law of the Jungle NV.com. A lot of you guys have seen that website. It's kind of a one-stop shop for Nevada content in terms of game previews, season previews, um, just some really cool stuff on there. And we've been talking with Ryan, uh, not for a really long time, but he's been posting our stuff and we certainly appreciate it. So we got a, a page that's going to be going on Law of the Jungle NV. You can just go to the website and it's on there now. And it kind of breaks down all the different spots. You can listen to the website. It has some reviews. It gives a really cool layout of the episode so you can see what re- we really, really we talked about, what parts of the episode it is. If you just want to go and find a certain spot and listen to that. Um, so really excited about the website. Um, Ryan's site is certainly awesome. And uh, we're glad we get to be a part of it. So if you guys want to check out uh, the website, lawthejunglenv.com backslash the Reno Slant, or you can just go to the website, lawthejunglenv.com, and you'll, you'll see us there on the, the ticker up top. We'll jump now into our preview of the New Mexico game. Nevada heading back to the pit on Saturday. Uh, the Lobos beat Air Force tonight 65-58 in their Mountain West opener, Air Force Two of fifteen from deep. We saw something similar to like that uh, tonight at Lawler, and the Lobos actually where I scored thirty-eight, eighteen in the paint. Still found a way to win on the road. Uh, so, bro, what's uh, something we need to know about the Lobos? Uh, they got a senior who can shoot it from behind the arc, Anthony Mathis. Um, his three-point shooting a game average is just under four a game. He's ranked eleventh in the nation. And um, after he had six, and is not this game against uh, Air Force. The game prior was uh, I'm trying to remember who they played, South University of Southwest or something. It, yeah, it so was Jack, some crappy direct. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> I saw that. I know. I was like, a, I looked at, I was like, oh my god. But I think he threw up six threes against them. So he's just one of those guys. His uh, national ranking right now. Um, let me try and find in my notes right now. Uh, in some other categories too, he's ranked 20th in free throw percentage. He's shooting over 90% from the line. He's 20th in the nation in three point percentage at 46%. And he's 27th for total threes made with 45 on the season. So that is going to be one guy to be watching from deep because he can shoot. Yeah, he, he can fill it up. They, it was Southwest they played on December 30th. Southwest, okay. I don't know what that is or where that is. I could guess the Southwest. They don't even have a logo on the ESPN app. It must be like a Division II school. And NAIA school. There you go. Those are good for the schedule. <laughs> good, yeah, I was going to say, has a good job whoever scheduled that. NAIA school. Dope. So the Lobos are 7-6 and six this year and for all accounts have been a massive disappointment in the Mountain West. But before tonight, they were – Ken Palm had them at 184. The net slash rim had them at 177. So this is a quadrant three game. They have some bad results. I mean, they lost at home to Penn. They lost at home to North Texas. They lost their rival, New Mexico State, on the road by 35. We've talked on the show, I think it was last we were talking about, how St. Mary's is down this year. They lost to St. Mary's in L.A. by 25. Of their six losses, this is surprising because the pit is a tough place to go and win some basketball games. Of their six losses this year, four are at home. They're three and four at the pit this year. Um, one more home loss would give them five, which would be their most home losses in a season since the 2014-2015 season when they had five home losses. So this, by all accounts, this is going to be their worst home season in a number of years, and Nevada certainly hoping to add to that on Saturday. What else did you find about uh, New Mexico? 
Yeah, so I was going to talk about those losses, too. I had those written in bold because, I mean, you got 35 New Mexico State. And, I mean, 65 to 100 is what they lost that game yeah. to New Mexico State. And they also lost, they lost to Penn. Um, I was looking at it, though, because I kind of thought about it. I was like, well, I was curious if Penn was any good. But they actually nope. beat Villanova. Yeah. Well, Penn beat Villanova's having a down year. But Penn, Penn squeaked one out against Villanova this year. But anyways, so going back to it though, as much as negative as they've had and have a t- you know way more home losses than they're used to, and Ken Palm and everybody's marking them down, I'm still gonna say even though they played Southwest before this Air Force game, they still got the potential to shoot the ball. They put you know they're playing an NAIA team, put up 103 points against them, I mean 47 against them. But also in an expedition earlier exhibition earlier this year, they put up 115. So they have struggled. There are games where they're playing down. But, I mean, um, th- this is still going to be a team that's got the potential to put up points. And, like I said, Pitt's a sneaky place to play. So, I'm, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, not, you know, it's not that high mark, you know, sexy game like it, like it should be or could have been that people would think at the beginning of the year. But right. they, st- they, still got, they still got the potential. If anyone is overlooking this game at New Mexico in the Nevada camp, player, coach, or fan, you're mm-hmm. doing it wrong. The pit is going to yeah. be a tough place to play. Nevada is used to it now. They should be used to it now at this point that everywhere you go, it's going to be their Super Bowl. So yeah. they're they're going to get up for that game. You, you mentioned Anthony Mathis. He really is one of the best shooters in the country. Uh Sam Merrill was awesome coming into Lawler tonight. That didn't work out so well. Nevada going to try to continue that trend on Saturday. You mentioned a couple stats. His three and three quarters, 3.75 three-pointers per game is 11th in the country. You mentioned that stat. You also mentioned he's shooting before tonight. I didn't see what he did tonight, but he's connecting on 40, over 46% of his shots from deep. That's 20th in the country. Um, so dude is a legit sniper. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to add? Yep. I'm all good. The two things I'll add real quick here, and then we'll we'll get to our favorite player on the other roster. They've been a disaster defensively this year. I mean, they held Ar- they held Arkansas, they held Air Force to two of fifteen from deep tonight, uh, but they entered tonight averaging s- or allowing seventy nine points per game. That's last in the Mountain West. Ken Palm ranks their defense two hundred fifty third. In all of college basketball. Oh my God. They allow teams to shoot 46% from the field. That's last in the Mountain West, including 36% from deep. That's 239th in all of college basketball. Uh, rebounding. They're one of the worst teams in the Mountain West. Uh, minus 1.7 rebound per game margin. That's 10th in the Mountain West. Nevada plus 2.3 rebounds per game. So it hasn't been a strength for Nevada, uh, at least of late. And they were out-rebounded by one tonight, but that was a good performance against a really good rebounding team. Um, so defensively, this team has uh, had all kinds of troubles this year. And the last thing I'll say, we probably should have, this is called bearing the lead. This is Nevada's first time going back to the pit since that miracle. Absolute miracle. A couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan Caroline, I think it was 44 points, 45 points he went off for that. The ridiculous comeback overtime win. I went back and read a couple stories. <laughs> I mean, they're, they were down 25 with a minute, with 11 minutes left. They were down 19 with 427 left. They were down 14 with 70 seconds left. 14 was, and they found a way to win that game. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. So Jordan Caroline gonna have some fond memories returning to the pit, but 
yeah, as we mentioned, cannot overlook New Mexico going into that environment. New Mexico has one of the best home crowds in terms of attendance in the Mountain West. They're drawing, I think it's 12,000 plus a game. So it's going to be bouncing in there and Nevada better come ready to go because New Mexico certainly is. Uh, who is your favorite player on the other roster? So I chose recently to find out that he's the stud, Anthony Mathis. <laughs> I chose him before I started doing the breakdown, all that, uh, all that nonsense, all the information. Uh, but I chose him because he's from Westland, Oregon. And so is our mother. So Westland, Oregon thought that was kind of cool. Um, and then also just another little tidbit because we've talked quite a bit about him, but he has broken or he broke the New Mexico record for the most three point field goals in a conference season last year, I believe, with 66. And he finished his junior year. So he finished last year and he's third all time for most three pointers in a season with 98. So more more information on how well this guy can shoot from deep. This is the second week in a row. We picked the same guy. I also went with Anthony Mathis for I, – I did make note of the fact that he's from Westland, and we obviously have ties to Westland. Uh, mm-hmm. He really is a pretty cool story, though. You look at his first two seasons at New Mexico, he was essentially a non-factor. Uh, he was averaging less than three points per game. He only played 64 total minutes as a sophomore. And then seemingly out of nowhere, he blows up last year, goes on to achieve all the things that you just mentioned. Um mm-hmm. He averaged almost 13 points per game. His three-point shooting, granted, pretty small sample size his first two years, but jumped from 32 to 47 percent. Um, his junior no season, yeah, no kidding. And he's averaging over 15 points per game now this year as a senior. He actually said last year after his big junior year that he was going to transfer. Looked at his options, decided to stay to not transfer. Where would this New Mexico team be without him? As bad as they've been. Uh, without having that guy, I mean, it looks real bare in terms of talent there. Um, and then one more tie to the family. He is the oldest of three siblings. Um, so I can feel that. Obviously, he has one younger brother and one younger sister. And they are also separated by three years each. So definitely some similarities <laughs> there. All right. What's your keys or what are your keys to a Nevada win? Uh, number one, get Jazz going off the bench. I think we've, I think we talked about this last week, but you just get that sense that the offense just flows better. He's just, he's one of those presences that he's just a leader when he's on the court and it's just kind of the lead by example. He does a lot of things right. Obviously tonight when we're recording and after the, um, the Utah State game, he didn't necessarily have his best game, but he hit a couple late shots that, you know, got the crowd going back into it. And when he missed, I think it was, I can't remember if it was one or two games when he was in that concussion protocol, it just kind of seemed like the offense was a little sluggish, a little off off uh, center. So, my yeah, my first thing is just kind of get him going early. After watching the game tonight, I almost it almost feels wrong going anywhere other than the defense. But I'm going to go offense, and I'm going to go ball movement. So it's, it hasn't been a strength in, in Muss's offensive system, and there are certainly times where it feels like there's an offensive possession and they didn't do anything. They passed it three times and then we're, throw, we're jacking up a three with three seconds left on the shot clock. So I, I want to see them move the ball. Uh, there was a great quote from us after the Utah win last week that he says when Nevada, I forget what the exact quote is, but I think it's Nevada's undefeated or some ridiculous record when they complete 200 passes in the game. And mm-hmm. I mentioned how bad New Mexico is defensively or at least how bad they've been 
this year, there's going to be opportunities to put some points points up. And I think this could be maybe a game you look at on the road against – it would be a tough environment, but against a defense that's been vulnerable where maybe some guys see some shots start to fall. You're going to get some looks. There's going to be some openings. I, I want to see them move the ball and, and get some looks, particularly from deep, because, he, again, tonight we didn't see a great shooting performance. So I, I want to see them swing the ball around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to go back to the key three, kind of going uh, that same narrative, the three-point. You get both Martins and Caroline. Um, this la- against Utah State, they were a three of 12 from deep. And it, those are those are just a couple of those guys that, you know, regardless of the ability, just because they've been in the program for a while and they know how to energize the crowd and, and they, you know, they, they, they're the ones that kind of spark a lot of these runs. I, you just you need three better three point shooting from them. Yeah, I mean they still it's crazy that you know shooting as shooting what they did in the last game and you're still winning by 23 points. You know shooting 25. percent But I'm gonna look at those guys. A little bit of leadership, a little more uh, lead by example, kind of make some of those shots that they need. I mean they found ways to do it, but I want to see um, from deep a couple of those shots falling more. I don't know that they need Caleb or Cody or Jordan to make threes. I, the defense mm-hmm. is so good right now that it feels like if, the, if they're making threes, it's just a luxury at this point. I mean, yeah. they're, they're winning yeah. games with their defense. Yeah, but you also factor the, the defense, you know, that's playing at Lawler in front of the home crowd, large crowd. Now you're going into a specific, uh, you know, a little more threatening territory. Sure. So that would be the flip side, I'd, I'd argue there. Yeah, no, it will certainly help on the road. And I think if you're really looking for some positives here, I mean, there are positives everywhere. Mm-hmm. Nevada's 14-0, and 0, and you can make a strong case the best basketball is still ahead of this team, at least on the offensive side. Oh, yeah. At least on the offensive oh. side. Okay, good point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, I don't know how much better that defense can get. No, I, that unbelievable what this team has done defensively, how, how much they've grown on uh, that side of the court. They did pretty good at this tonight. We haven't seen a lot of it. Starting, I don't know fast, but just starting well, starting stronger, getting off to a better, um, some better footing. I mean, they're up 12-6 in this one tonight. They're up 25-13 at one point. It was certainly good to see a nice change of pace from the narrative uh, we've seen over the last month, month and a half now. This is still a rivalry game. Still going to be a tough environment. You know New Mexico is going to come out swinging because that place is going to be bouncing. Um, oh, yeah. I, I was surprised to see... Nevada's only trailed at the half three times this year. I would have thought that number was bigger based on how we've seen some first halves play out this year. Oh, definitely. Hasn't bit him in the butt yet, but we've said the slow starts eventually will be a problem. And this is not an environment you want to go down big in. So I would like to see Nevada start well, maybe take the 12,000, whatever it is, in attendance, try to remove them least a little bit, make them mm-hmm. less of a factor. Uh, so I want to see the team start well on Saturday. Do you have another one? I said those two. The two. The last one I, I have is take care of the basketball. Um, despite some bad defense from New Mexico this year, they lead the Mountain West averaging almost eight steals a game. So they're active in the passing lanes. You don't want to be giving away opportunities on the road. Nevada committed 16 turnovers tonight. And the Wolfpack's been one of the best teams in the country in terms of taking care of the basketball. Tonight that was not the case. Uh, you don't want to give New Mexico any bunnies, um, so take care of the basketball. The last thing I'll get real quick here, and then we'll we'll transition into our prediction for the game. Uh, 
Nevada is 11 and 0, and I believe it's it's now 12 and 0 when making more free throws than its opponent. New Mexico is one and four when the opponent makes more free throws. So be active, move the ball, attack the rim, get to the free throw line, get out of the pit with a win. Good stat. Great stat. I like that. Great I like stat. That. What's your pick? What's your prediction? Tough environment. Nevada still takes it easy. 84-68. I thought you were going to oh, – 80, oh, wow, you got a beatdown. I got an absolute massacre in New Mexico. This could have been a – so we said something stupid last week, or at least I did. Because I, I picked – I said Nevada was going to lose at Utah. And I was going to say, are we, are we going to address that? It needs to be addressed. I, I picked Utah to win that game. Obviously did not uh, did not happen. Caleb Martin had something to say about that in the second half. Um so I, I took that one on the chin last week, was happy to do it. Um, I'm not betting against Nevada this week. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do think that the, the crowd will be a factor. I do think New Mexico is going to play up for this game, be better than we've seen them look in, in some games this year against like Penn and North Texas, especially at home. So I think it'll be relatively close. I got Nevada winning this one, 82-75. All right, all right. We'll jump into some slants here. Uh, we'll start with an oldie but a goodie. Hey, I know you. I will start this one. And I mentioned the same one. You might have mentioned this too. Uh, I mentioned the same one when we broke this slant out back in early September. After Nevada wins the bowl game on Saturday, everyone's feeling good, feeling saucy. Feels good to win a bowl game. Yeah, baby. What's the next game we'll on? Take, What's the next game on? It is Notre Dame Clemson. And who do we see but Brian Polian going ballistic on the sideline? Yeah, I'm like, man, the timing of that is impeccable. Impeccable. It, it's poetic. <laughs> seeing seeing that Nevada fans feeling good about that, and then Brian Polian going nuts on the sideline. So that that was funny. That was one of them. I got a, a few of these. A not funny one in any sense. Borderline tragic. Sunday afternoon. About 4.30, red zone goes black for the rest of the year. And you want to talk about Sunday scaries. That is a low point. Big time low point. This, instead of the see you next week, it's see you next season. See you next year. And it's it's heartbreaking. I still don't think I'm over it. Watching red zone I will on Sunday, though, I will say was a little weird, weird though, not having any fantasy implications. It's like, mm-hmm. eh. And I loved how many afternoon games there were, by the way. That was nice. Yeah, there was eight of them. Yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. nuts. And then, oh, go go for it. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, no, you finish, you finish your last one, then I'll go. The last one I'll say is, uh, I put this out on Twitter. Tara had never seen Dumb and Dumber. And for me to be, for us to be together for three years and she never had seen that was borderline unacceptable. So I got to watch Dumb and Dumber for the first time in a while. On was it Sunday night? Monday night? That's almost a, that's almost a bad on your part. It was a little embarrassing on, on my part, um, and I was I was almost skeptical to turn it on because like I've talked it up so much, I've quoted this movie so much. There's no way it can live up to the expectations. Um, she definitely liked it, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, I just think I ultimately that, oversold it. Yeah, I was gonna say she definitely liked it. That didn't sound like a. I don't know if that's the explanation I was expecting. What do you think I was going to go with? 
I was going to say that she wanted to watch it again right after. She wanted to watch it the next night. That's what I would hope for. Well, we did. In, the, instead of renting it on Amazon, we bought it on Amazon. So we do have the ability okay. to watch it whenever we want. And it will be watched again. That's a veteran move. Veteran move there. Savvy move. <laughs> so my my are pretty quick. The first one is just, hey, I know you. And this is a total reference to me because I remember me from last year. Um, I had a nice little little afternoon there. I was betting some college football. You know, I we knew Cle- we knew Clemson was going to smack, so I bet a lot, bet some money on Clemson. Had the Nevada in play. Was doing a couple bets here, a couple bets there. Um, I just threw like a random two team NBA parlay. Hit that. Was winning some money, and in true fashion, decided to bet a lot of money on the game I was the most confident on, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs versus Texas. Yeah. And, and I lost almost every penny of what I had won. So, hey, I remember me from doing that <laughs> all the time. Um, so that was a fun way to end it. Uh, then my, That's then my last one, yeah, and then my last one was just, hey, I remember you. Go dogs. Just complete uh. no-shows in the Rose Bowl until pff, midway through the fourth quarter, or wherever you want to say when they started, just – such an ugly performance. I mean, they still only lost by, what, five in the end. But that game turned out way closer than it was. So, hey, I know you. Go, Washington. Way to not show up. I don't know how to feel about that Rose Bowl. Obviously, it sucked. We didn't have Taylor Rapp, and that was a glaring issue in our secondary. Stud safety declared for the draft. He's going to be a borderline first-round draft pick. We needed him back there. I'm, I'm so Jake Browning's legacy as a Husky is so confusing because he's taken it's, us to heights we haven't met in so long, but he has limitations. Like we we know who Jake Browning mm-hmm. is, um, and it is such a weird relationship with the UW fan base and him because for those reasons you're saying right there, he, we have some awesome moments with him. Two Pac-12 titles, four no in the Apple Cup. Went to Oregon, snapped the streak with a seventy to twenty one beatdown. What that mm-hmm. was, um, a lot of fun wins. Unfortunately, you think of the Bama playoff game in, in 16. You think of going to Auburn the start of this year. You think of the Ohio State game now. Um, is there the another Fiesta one? Bowl last year. The Fiesta Bowl last year. Uh, we couldn't get it done. Oregon, the Oregon, Oregon this year. <laughs> that wasn't on him. Make a, make a kick, dude. We went, yeah. we make a 37 yard field goal. We win that game. So I, I'm with you. Frustrating Rose Bowl. I, I still have complete faith, though, in Pete and where we're going. I like it. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll transition now to road tripping. As I said at the very top, I'm pumped about this slant. This is going to be a really fun one to do during college basketball season. There are a ton of you guys who went to the Utah game, I know. There are a ton of you that went to the bowl game down in Tucson. And we're going to try to deliver some value for you guys on a weekly basis. So if you're making the trip with the team, we're going to give you some recommendations. Recommendations. Uh, tra- Chad, there it is, has been all over the Mountain West and, and then some. So he, he knows the spots. Uh, here is our conversation or our, my conversation with Chad. Some spots to check out in Albuquerque. <laughs> Chad, this this is your idea, and, and I love it because there's going to be more Nevada fans traveling to games this year than there maybe have been in years past. I mean, really, the idea is really we just want to give fans a couple recommendations if you're making the trip to. With the basketball team, the cities, you have a couple spots to go. And the name of the slant, road tripping, is very appropriate because you have been doing nothing but that 
for the last week, we were just talking about it. You were in Tucson. Now you're in Jackson Hole. Now you're going back to Reno in a few days. Yeah, it's been it's been a wild uh, it's been a wild little holiday week here, and <laughs> and what an awesome week it's ha- it's been. Obviously, with uh, with the Nevada football team uh, pulling off that awesome win in, in the Arizona Bowl. And, uh, and, and that kind of put the, put the cherry on top of a, of a great day in Wolfpack land with, with, uh, the basketball team topping Utah and Salt Lake and, and the women's basketball team getting a win in overtime against the Hawaii. Just a, just a great trifecta on Saturday and, uh, made it all worth it. Yeah. No question. What, what was that, uh, the post game like on Saturday in Tucson? You know, it, it was wild and, and it was, it was a lot of pure joy. And, um, you know, especially I think for the seniors, for those 17 seniors who, yeah. you know, have gone through so much in their career and, and, and we've talked about that before. I mean, this is a group of players that, that, you know, endured a coaching change and, and endured a lot of hardship and adversity in their careers. Um, and, you know, struggled with the loss and, uh, uh, the tragic loss of a teammate and for everything they've been through and, and even the disappointing end of the regular season this year to, to win eight games, which for the first time in Mountain West history for a Nevada team and, and to win a bowl game for the sixth time in school history. Um, and, and to do it the way they did and, and to get that victory and cap their careers with a win, just, just pure joy, pure, pure, pure elation for those guys. And, and everybody was thrilled for the seniors and, and that they got to end their careers that in that kind of way. It was a ton of fun. No, no question. So Matter yep. hoops at Albuquerque th- this weekend. How many times have you been there? I've, I've been to Albuquerque at least eight times. Wow. Uh, and, and, and most of those in the last, uh, in the last, you know, six or seven years or so since we joined the Mountain West, but obviously a couple of New Mexico bull trips in there as well. It's a great town. Um, a lot of history there, a lot of culture there, a lot of passionate fans there as, as well as basketball fans know the, the, the pit, the pit, uh, has, has, uh, quite a, quite a following. Um, there's, there's, there's a great fandom there and, and it's a good basketball environment. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this segment. I'm excited to, uh, you know, over the years, you know, with all the traveling we do, um, and, and I was telling Ryan Radke, our, our former radio guy about this, uh, about this segment and, and he and I've been talking about this for years. I mean, we, <laughs> we have our haunts, right? Like we have our places that we go to every time, you know, you go to Boise, you go to Vegas, you go to, you go to Albuquerque, et cetera. Like we all have our favorite joints that we, that we got to hit. And, yeah. and I'm excited to, to, to do this and help pack fans out and maybe, maybe point some folks in a good direction. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you came with the idea and presented it because it, I think it's going to, there's probably a lot of people listening who will get something out of it. Like that's certainly the hope. And like just this weekend seeing there are a ton of Nevada fans who made the trip to Salt Lake and there are a lot of Nevada fans who made the trip to Tucson. Like, man, we could have almost started this last week. Um, but just yeah, for, for people- yeah, and I, I I heard about I heard about that there were there was a tremendous amount of silver and blue uh, at the Huntsman Center there in Salt Lake. Uh, a great a great buddy of mine uh, from my college days uh, was there for the holidays, and and he and his family were there, and 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 I'll tell you, the Wolfpack Nation turned out in in Tucson. Uh, there, I I know the crowd may may have looked a little bit uh, sparse on television with how big that stadium is, right? But there were there were a ton of Wolfpack fans. Uh, in Arizona Stadium on Saturday, and that was just awesome to see. So for people who are maybe making their first trip to Albuquerque or only have gone a couple times, what's, uh, what's your biggest piece of advice? Uh, first of all, you're, you're in Albuquerque, you're in New Mexico. The Mexican food is, is, you're, you're not going to find anything better and don't, <laughs> don't stray too far from that. And, and when it comes to that, I'll give you two real obvious selections. Uh, with El Pinto, which is the long time, old time place there, uh, that's been there forever. And, uh, and Sadie's, which has a couple of locations in Albuquerque. Both of them incredibly authentic. Just, just ter- serving up great authentic Mexican food. 
the the little local uh, the local thing there to get is is when you order it, get it with Christmas sauce. And what Christmas sauce is is they give you both their red and their green sauce, and 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 both uh, El Pinto and Sadie serve serve it, you know, the Christmas sauce style, and that's the way to go at both those places. Awesome. And the you- third place, and this is a sneaky little joint. Uh, it's called the Grove, and 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 it's a breakfast place. It, it, they they serve lunch and brunch, and that and you know have a fuller menu. But go there for breakfast, uh, the Grove, and get the croque madame, and it's and it's amazing. And and if you've never had that before, uh, it's 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 a ham breakfast sandwich with Swiss, and and they put a little mustard on it. Uh, it's just a fantastic dish. Uh, the Grove for breakfast is is unbelievable in Albuquerque. All right, so the Grove for breakfast, El Pinto or Sadie's, we need the Christmas sauce for the Mexican yeah, the food. Yeah, get the Christmas sauce with whatever dish you order. All right, and then you got like a, a beer spot? I do, I do, and, and and for folks who know me, they know, they know I'm, a, I'm a craft beer guy and, and a home brewer and that sort of thing. And uh, in, in Albuquerque, there, there's a tremendous IPA uh, from a local brewery there called uh, La Cumbre Brewery, and, and they make an IPA called Elevated IPA. Uh, it's just one of the, the finest, uh, West Coast style IPAs you're going to find. Uh, it's been around for a number of years now. It's held its own over the test of time as the craft beer world's kind of grown, grown up and evolved, especially in the last 10 years or so. Uh, but elevated IPA is, is a great choice there from, uh, La Cumbre Brewery in Albuquerque. Awesome. Are you going to be making the trip? I won't. I won't. Um, uh, Jack Kustemeyer, our, our fantastic men's basketball SID, uh, holds down the fort, uh, through the regular season. I'll start traveling with men's basketball in the postseason. Uh, you know, coming off the football season sure. as it is, but get a little rest in, nice. uh, here, here on the slopes for, for, for a couple of days or so. But, uh, looking forward to get back to Reno on Wednesday night for the Utah State game. Uh, it's going to be an amazing, uh, uh, atmosphere as we open up conference play and, and that Utah State team, that's a good ball club now. Don't sleep on them. Yeah. Gonna be fun for sure. So when this comes out, the game will have already happened. So hopefully we're celebrating a win when, uh, when this comes out. All right, Chad. <laughs> There you go, man. Hey, I appreciate you having me on and look forward to doing this through, uh, through conference play and, uh, especially get, uh, as we get to a couple more, uh, more of the Western locales in the Mountain West, uh, conference and, and it's, uh, hope, you know, hopefully it helps some people out, especially, uh, you know, to see the fan support that, that this men's basketball team has on the road so far. Yeah, for sure. So next week is Fresno and Boise. So we're double dipping it. next week. All right, Chad, go get those turns in. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate All right, cool stuff with, with Chad. I'm, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm pumped about that slant. That's going to be a lot of fun this year. We'll go into some games of the weekend in the college level. There's only one, Bama-Clemson. Both are 14-0. Bama, six-point favorite. Tuttle's just under 60-59 in the hook. Kickoff Monday, 5 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, what do you got for us? Well, I th- like. what am I going to take? This is what you got in the game. Uh, well, you know, Trevor Lawrence, he's looked good all year. You know, he hasn't really shown, in my opinion, you know, those kind of true freshman characteristics. You would expect that at some time, or at some point, the game gets bigger than him and he kind of has those mental mistakes. But he looked great against Notre Dame. Unfortunately, I am not thinking it's going to go his way. I am going to take Bama. I think they cover, too. Bama is just... I don't know. They're just a unit. I have a hard time thinking that they're not going to find a way to rattle him or, you know, uh, contain him and his ability to get out, you know, throw the ball. He throws the ball so well. But I have a hard time going against Nick Saban in this, in this spot. ESPN FPI says this game is basically a coin flip. 
statistically, mm-hmm. these teams are very similar. Bama throws yeah. it a little bit better than Clemson does, actually. Clemson runs it a little bit better, so kind of an inverse of what you would expect um, or what we've come to expect, stereotypically speaking, for these two programs. Yeah. Offensively, Bama's averaging almost 48 points per game. Clemson's averaging just over 44. Defensively, Bama's given up almost 15 points per game. Clemson's given up less than 14. So statistically speaking, a lot of similarities. Um, and when it comes to the bull mania stuff, I got a lot of points on Bama, and I don't feel good about it. I don't feel great about it. Hey, you made that pick for a reason. <laughs> That's what I try and tell myself as I sit in the bottom of the rankings in that thing. Well, it's our, it's the fourth straight year these two teams have, have met in the playoffs. And a quick, I should give one last update here before we announce the winner in next week's show of the Reno Slant Bull Mania group. I struggled on New Year's Day, plummeted to ninth place, 77th percentile. I was up around like 98 to start New Year's Day. So in first place is John Schaup getting his second shout-out of the show. It's looking like he's probably going to win the group. The 99th percentile with 572 points. Austin has 554 points. Uh, Thomas Serdic, my boy, hooked it up with Las Vegas Bowl tickets, has 523 points. So it's looking like Austin is probably going to win the $25 gift card to the stick, um, depending on who he has on Monday Thomas would need to have the other team and have that team win, and he needs to have a lot of points on him to get caught. So it's looking like Austin. Uh, last place, by the way, NV Josh. Way to go, NV Josh. And Adam is going to get last of all the shouts. So way to go, bro. I'm proud of my efforts. <laughs> <laughs> down here, down here in my in my department, that is for sure. So college only has one more game left. We do have the entire playoffs ahead of us for the NFL. Thank God. I'm going to hang on to every game like it's my last. Just hug it and hold it dearly. Don't leave me. I'm not ready for football offseason. So we'll do a quick rundown of the four wildcard matchups. And I think what we decided we're going to do before we came on is we'll we'll pick all four games against the spread. Uh, First game on Saturday afternoon, 1.30 on ESPN, the Colts at the Texans. Houston is a one-and-a-half-point favorite. What are you taking? Colts, plus one-and-a-half. Taking the Colts, plus one-and-a-half. So these teams have obviously played each other twice this year. Both teams won on the road, so the home team has is yet to win this matchup. I don't know what to make of Houston this year. They went in a huge winning streak. I don't think they're that good. Andrew Luck mm-hmm. is the man. I am also going to take the Colts, plus one-and-a-half. The second game... On Saturday, the big one, at least for us, Hawks at Cowboys. Both teams are ten and six. Boys are one and a half point favorites. Who are you liking that one? You know that one. I, I'm fairly confident in Seattle. I mean, I'm taking the taking the points obviously for other reasons too. But that game does not. I'm not very scared of that one. I don't know if I should be saying that or not. Knock on wood, but no, you just jinxed it. You for sure just did. Um, these teams did play way back in week three. Seattle won 24-13. Now it was in Seattle. That obviously feels like forever ago. I don't know how much you can really take away from that game. Two different teams. Seattle has, oh, since, Seattle has since found its identity. Dallas all of a sudden has his defense out of nowhere that's legit. Um, so two teams that want to run the football. Dallas's defense is better than Seattle's. But I mean, people are going to play up how good Seattle's defense is. They're going to try to push that narrative. Seattle's defense is not good this year. It's just not. 
and we need Chris Carson to get going against that Cowboys defense. I am in the opposite camp as you. I am not. I'm not confident in this game at all. I'm actually going to take the boys minus one. And Russ, a half. For, Russ versus Dak. Russ versus Dak. Pete versus the Clapper. Um, so Seattle obviously has the edge in those two spots, but the yeah, we'll see. Sunday, ten o'clock on CBS. Chargers at Ravens. The Ravens are laying two and a half at home. Lamar Jackson's the youngest quarterback to ever start a game in the playoffs. I'm taking the trusty steed, Chargers. Philip Rivers, he's going to lead us. Taking the so you, you're taking the points in all three games so far. Mm-hmm. The Chargers tied. This is such a raw deal for them. They tied with the Chiefs for the best record in the AFC for the one seed. Instead, because of the tiebreaker, they're the five seed. They have to play Wild Card Weekend. They have to play on the road, and they're playing at seven o'clock normal time, body time. They're playing the morning game on the East Coast. It's a brutal, brutal draw after an awesome season for the Chargers. I think the Ravens are the team that no one wants to play right now. They probably have the best defense in the NFL. They run the hell out of the football. The Chargers did play the Ravens earlier this year at home and lost twenty-two to ten. That was just two weeks ago. I am gonna take the home team in this one. I'll lay the points. I'll lay the two and a half. I think I think the Ravens are a sneaky, sneaky maybe playoff contender the way they're running the football. And then the last game of the weekend, the Eagles. Somehow the NFC East got two teams in the playoffs. The Eagles at nine and seven playing at Chicago. Bears are twelve and four, one forty on NBC. Biggest spread of the weekend. Bears are laying six. I am making Chicago, not even second guessing it. You're what? You cut out. I said I am taking Chicago. I'm not even going to question that decision. I think they are going to completely shut the door on the Eagles. See, there will not be a Super Bowl repeat. Chicago's got to be a little ticked that they didn't get any, you know, didn't get a first round buy. So I have no problem laying those points. Chicago, I mentioned Baltimore being a team that no one wants to play in the playoffs. Chicago's a team that has a nasty defense. I think they're going to lean on Jordan Howard. They're going to limit possessions. I would be a little nervous about Nick Foles. It just feels like with Nick Foles back there in the playoffs for the Eagles, something weird's going to happen. Six points is a pretty big spread, and it's big for a reason. I'm going with Nick Foles, though. I'll take the points. So we're going to really see, because I think we were different on three of the picks. Three of them. The only game we, we saw eye to eye on is taking the taking the Colts, taking the Colts at Houston, and then we'll do this too. What's your Super Bowl pick? I because <laughs> it's going to contradict exactly what you said. Saints over the Chargers. Wow, you're going the Saints too. I I said last week I made my pick. I said I think the Saints are going to win the Super Bowl. The way they got that thing going, I think Drew Brees is kind of one of those seasons for him. Maybe going to end up winning the MVP. Mahomes. Probably the guy he's fighting with, Mahomes, gets to 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns, whatever it was. I'm going to go Saints over the Pats. The Pats are not good this year. It's frustrating as hell to watch them. And the way this might shake up for them, they might have the, the easiest path to Super Bowl ever. They might even get to be at home in the, in the AFC title game. So I think they get there. But I, I think the Saints will be able to expose that defense. Their defense stinks. Um, so I'm going to go Saints over Pats in the Super Bowl. 
God, I hate New England so much. We'll jump into some Twitter questions now. Thank you to all of you, as always, who sent in a Twitter question this week. Um, first one from Ryan, Law of the Jungle NV. Make sure you check out the website. A favorite non-conference game, and what conference game are you most looking forward to? I'll, I'll let you take this one first. So my favorite non-conference game was that uh, when they played Arizona State, mm-hmm. down at Talking Stick. I mean, it's a great game. They're down, trailing the whole time, battled back. That's when we were driving up to Tahoe. Arizona State was um, at Staples Center. Oh, that's Stable Center. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I was getting those two mixed up. But that was just a fun one, and then we ended up watching it at the cabin as they came back and ended up winning by six points or whatever the heck it was. So that was my favorite non-conference. And the one I am looking forward to, I would have I said tonight had we recorded prior to the Utah State game or if this game was tomorrow, but I'm going to go February 27th at home versus UNLV because there's nothing I love more than when UNLV loses. <laughs> Yeah, I, I also am going to go with some good radio here. I'm going to go with the Arizona State game. Just what that game meant for the, the program and for this season. I mean, Arizona State did no favor losing to Princeton. But they beat Kansas. Arizona State was ranked at the time. It was a big comeback. And then just cherry on top was the fact that we were we got to watch the last five minutes at the cabin at Tahoe in the snow. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Um going to end up being maybe the biggest win of the at least the regular season for this team so i'll go with the arizona state game the conference game i'm most looking forward to i'm going to say at san diego state i don't need to i I keep pounding on this nevada can't just has not been able to go there and pick up a win and if they can do that despite struggles san diego state has done i think that would be one more indicator of how far this program has come so that san diego state game uh, addressing some old demons, certainly, I think maybe the one I'm looking forward to the most. One of the games I'm looking forward to the most, at least. Josh asks, um, oh, that's game. That's a whole question. We need to go in from Josh this week. Uh, fake Matt Mummy. Why does the Pac-12 suck? And what can be done to make it great again? What do you I'll got? Let you take this. <laughs> so I think the easy excuse is we just pile on Larry Scott and say he's the worst commissioner of all time and, for those who read the stories about how the Pac-12 is spending its money, I mean, they're paying like it's almost $4 million a year in rent to have this high-rise in downtown San Francisco, and that's money that could be going to the programs, to the schools, obviously. So I think the easy excuse is Larry Scott. And to say that it's not a factor, I think would be inaccurate. The Pac-12 network sucks. It's probably not generating the revenue as some of the other conference networks. I feel like the direction, the emphasis of the program or the conference as a whole is, is misguided. I mean, Larry Scott says, we're not a college college conference. We're a media network. No, you're freaking not. No one has the Pac-12 network, you idiot. You can't get a deal done with the Pac- with the DirecTV. No one can see your stupid channel. You're the worst. So he's not the only reason, but he is a big reason. I, I have no problem saying that. He sucks. He's got to go. He, he He pisses me off. <laughs> Retweet. That, that, that's 11.50 p.m. podcasting right there. Uh, <laughs> Garrett asks, what Nevada players would you and Adam compare your b-ball, your basketball game to? <laughs> that's the question. It's a backstory. But so who, who would you say uh, your game most mirrors? Oh, man. See, <laughs> when I was looking into it, I was looking at whoever played the least amount of minutes. <laughs> so, uh, anybody on the bench who doesn't get any play, into, or doesn't play as much, 
uh, from what actually realistic or from like the style was. I mean, I was like jazz. I was, a, I was a six man. I rotated with like three other guys. So yeah. I, but he obviously is a lot more productive and efficient with his time on the court than I ever was. Yeah. I'm a mix between, um, a slow cherry picking, not playing defense, poor shooting jazz Johnson and David Cunningham just because he's, he's our white boy coming off the bench. DC repping. I, lo- I love when he gets in the game. He's, he's legitimately a crowd favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'd go with, with that hybrid. Uh, 15th in Virginia. Question for the pod. Do you guys hate the OKC Thunder? Yes. It's a bear shit in the I woods. I can't. You're hand, handed a playoff caliber team and they still have the audacity to complain. I hate them forever. I don't have a problem with the players. I had this weird endearment to Katie. I think he's annoying, but he was a Sonic and he still shows love for Seattle. So I, I do have a weird endearment to Katie and Russ. What was a, was a supersonic as well. What really annoys me is when people try to lump Seattle Sonics history with OKC history and say, when they say like the Thunder haven't, they won the, the mm-hmm. NBA, uh, championship in 78, 79, whatever year that was. No, they didn't. The Sonics won that. You guys are the Thunder now and you're the worst, the absolute worst. Um, so my beef isn't, I, I always root for them to lose. My beef isn't as much though with the team as it is with the snakes that are Clay Bennett, Howard Schultz, and even David Stern for allowing that whole thing to get down. Seattle got robbed of, of we got robbed of our franchise. The fact we don't have one still is a joke. But the Suns owner talked about maybe moving the team to Seattle, but um, Adam Silver's already said they don't want to move a team. If Seattle gets a team, it's going to be because of expansion. So now we're just waiting for that. Yeah, a lot of hostility. In slants, I love it. We need we need more of that in 2019. We're an angry podcast now. Add it to the list. <laughs> that's, that's, that's raw emotion. Add it to the list. Uh, Blake asks us 2019 travel plans. What do you got, traveler? You meet it. Yeah. Uh, traveling. Uh, let's see. So I'll be in Phoenix in about three weeks, spending an MLK weekend down there. I will be back in Brazil in February. And then I will be in Cancun in March for a wedding. So those are the first three months I got planned out. Whose wedding's in Cancun? Uh, Brad. Brad and Sarah. Oh, what? Yeah. Our, iTunes, re- our iTunes review of the week. Exactly. That's awesome. Go, go Brad. Are you, so, in, are you in that I, wedding? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, so probably not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna bait, I'm gonna bait that as no. I have not received an invite yet and the wedding's in three months, but I will be in attendance, which is all that matters. That's dope. That's dope. Mm-hmm. Travel plans for me, fairly limited at this point. Uh, we're gonna go to Chicago for St. Patrick's Day, so I'm pretty excited about that. That'll um, be fun. That'll be a ton of fun. And then we're also talking about, if, if we see, it might, it might be the same weekend. Um, I, we need to check calendars, but we're, as of now, we're tentatively talking about making the trek to wherever Nevada plays in the first round, uh, first, well, hopefully maybe two rounds, depending on where they get sent. And they're talking about maybe, yeah. maybe Salt Lake, maybe San Jose, um, will be nice. So I don't, I don't have a ton on the calendar yet in terms of traveling. Uh, then Andrew asks us via email, have you ever thought about recording an episode of the podcast in Reno with a live audience? If so, what would it take to pull it off? 
We haven't talked a lot about it. We've kicked the idea around once before. There's ultimately there's a lot that would need to happen. We would need one a location, so we need a spot to do it. We would need probably for it to be for some sort of event. So whether it's before a football game, before a basketball game, and then when that happens, then finding a spot for it becomes a challenge. We would likely need a sponsor to pay for some of what it would require in terms of setup. We'd want to probably do some giveaways, um, give um, listeners some additional incentive to come hang out with us. Um, so I'd say those are probably the three big things that would need to happen. I'm sure there's other things I'm looking over. It would certainly be cool. We'll see how much we can build this thing through basketball season and then uh, try to keep putting out good stuff in the summer. Uh, certainly the plan. We've got some ideas. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's we've thought about it very, very uh, early in that planning process. I'll, I'll put it that way. Random Reno. Go for it. All right. In the st- in 2013, the state of Nevada was sued for engaging in greyhound therapy. You have any idea what that is? The state was sued for greyhound therapy? Mhm. I have no idea. A practice where troublesome mental patients are given one-way tickets to out-of-state destinations to free up bed space. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> and and I was taking into consideration you got I-80 taking you straight to California, so I figured there was at least somebody going down that road at least oh once God. or twice. But oh when I was God. reading that, when I, when I was reading that, I could not believe that that was a real thing. Where'd you find that? Uh, I can't remember what website it was. I can find the link because I know I still have it saved somewhere in my browser. But um, <laughs> I just thought it was so bizarre. Oh my God! If there was one state in the country. That I was explaining what Greyhound therapy was. They got sued for it. I'd probably guess Nevada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the, whole, the whole state just being like, look away. Nothing to see here. Nothing, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, one that you will certainly uh, relate to and probably a number of our listeners as well. Chapel. You know Chapel? The bar? Mm-hmm. The tavern? I am aware. Yes. Been there once or twice. Constantly ranked. As one of the best places in the country to drink rum. World leader. Hmm. Not world leader, but country leader. I have no idea what that ranking is or who's doing it, but I saw it on the internet, so we're going with it. Chapel, on the map. I think I wrote that article. (laughs) And that's our show this week. Uh, thank you to all of you for listening. Sorry we couldn't have this thing out Wednesday night like we usually like to. Um, just the challenge of 8 o'clock tips. Those things are the absolute worst. It'll be a similar story next week um, after the San Jose State game. Uh, we'll try to have it done a little bit earlier, though, for you guys. Uh, thank you to Chris Murray of Nevada Sportsnet for coming back on the show. Some great stuff from him, as always. Thank you to Brad getting married in Cancun in a few months for the iTunes Review of the Week. You know if you're listening on iTunes and you haven't left an iTunes review of the week yet, it's really easy. We'll get you in the running for $1 next week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at ShaupNathan, at ShaupAdam, and at the Reno Slant. You can also email us on the Reno Slant, or at the Reno Slant at gmail.com. Make sure to te- check out Law of the Jungle NV. Check out our new page on that site. Tip Saturday at the pit, 5 o'clock on ESPNU. You know we'll be back next week. 
Have a great, great weekend, guys. Go Pack. Thanks for listening to the Reno Slant, the podcast for Northern Nevada sports fans. Until next time, and we're still not talking about the Loyalist Chicago tournament game.